0: You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Supplemental number 65, The After Vegas Show. Welcome to a supplemental episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, the post STLV edition. I'm
1: John Champion. And I'm Norman Lau. And I have to say, John, you have
0: really brought your A game radio voice to the show tonight. Okay, look, I thought that I could start a new career as the voiceover guy for like a line of noir detective audiobooks. I'm going to get started on that. I'll be like, Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer, as read by John Champion.
1: So I have to believe that the condition of John's voice is <laughs> directly related to the amount of fun that he had in your, what, five-day coverage? Yeah, or well, I, five, five, five days, days of
0: work. So right. five days of work. I arrived on Tuesday, uh, rode to Vegas with Larry, And then stayed until Monday midday, um, but then came back to the office and worked until midnight, uh, Monday night. Trooper. uh, Yeah, it's been a long, long few days, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. We'll get into the details there, Uh, but it was a lot of work, and um, Vegas is dry. don't know if you knew that. Uh, I've
1: heard something about that. They call it a desert
0: of some kind. yes, yeah. I think the yeah, I think uh desert is an ancient word for dry and hot, <laughs> so it was both of those things and uh from day one, trying to uh have the landing party and uh, you're talking at a bar over people and even with a mic, the voice goes, mine does at least i I don't know how people do it without losing their voices. But uh, maybe this is a secret that Julianne Grossman can help me with. I kind of dig it, man. You got that kind of
1: smoky, like nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties Orson Welles noir flavor going, Ooh, and I feel it. That's good, I totally feel it. Now, um, just to back things up a little bit, so yeah. we are talking about uh, the fifty five year mission, also known as hashtag STLV. Right, uh, they are one and the same. If you have been following them on social media, the it is the creation con convention that covers Star Trek for the year. And John was able to go there along with some other representatives from Roddenberry. I know that, John, you'll be able to talk about that in detail in a moment. Um, Yeah, But you were able to go. I was unable to go. And this supplemental is going to be a very short review because Mm. we can't encapsulate your entire experience (laughs) of the five days that you were there into one podcast. But an in-depth review on not just the convention itself, but how a convention is now being experienced within this new COVID yeah. lifestyle. And that's something that has, has brought a lot of attention to a lot of people that have been looking at it from the social media perspective and how they were able to participate without being there and suffering some fear of missing out. I know yeah. I did.
0: yeah. And this is our debrief. You know, normally we talk, uh, you know, several times a week. Uh, Obviously we do the show together every week, uh, but this week we didn't. And what I love is that we had this sort of divide and conquer uh, approach Mm -hmm. where I'm on the ground in Vegas doing stuff there, doing shows there. You were online, and particularly with Discord, so much uh, in touch with our listeners and followers who couldn't be there. So I really feel like there was a lot of mission log happening even though we weren't in touch during that time. So it'll be cool for me to find out uh, what the scene was on Discord. I tried so hard to keep up when I could, and what I realized is, you know, with our interaction with Mission Log online anyway, just on a normal week, uh, there's Twitter, there's Facebook, there is the Mission Log website, and then there's the email that we get, and that can roughly be divided into a few categories, which is... um, the the short, uh, like, hey, I love this or I hated this, and you can usually reply back pretty quickly, thanks or I disagree, <laughs> and then you move on, right? And then there are the very long, thoughtful emails that require quite a bit of intention, and those tend to take much longer to reply to. So, again, we read everything. We don't always get back to everything, but we do read everything. Um And then there are the business emails that keep all of this going. And what I found is that during the convention, there was also all of the logistical communication about what was happening there. And that immediately took precedence. So my normal check-in with Discord and everywhere else just kind of went out the window because there wasn't enough bandwidth. Um, So I really appreciate you picking up the slack on that and uh, chatting with people and uh, keeping them informed and entertained.
1: Well, I, you know, I felt that it was a certain responsibility of ours, especially on Discord, because uh, to keep that conversation going, because I know that, uh, and and I'm taking my personal experience into account, I know that seeing the, the convention online, following people, your friends, or following Roddenberry itself, you know, or following Mission Log on Twitter and Facebook, you want to be part of that experience. And if you can't be part of that experience and you are looking so so forward to it desperately during the course of the year and then all of a sudden you get knocked off track because of certain things that happen in life that are beyond our control, uh, you know, there is a little bit of, um, you know, of of despair and there's a little bit of depression that happens. Mm -hmm. And I felt that it was our personal responsibility as, you know, as hosts of this show to make sure that we had an outlet for our community to be able to at least come together together. And talk about it, whether it was convention topic related, Star Trek related, podcast related, food and beverage related, (laughs) as long as we were able to come together and and keep ourselves afloat in the lifeboat, so to speak. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
0: And um, let me just say right off the bat that, you know, this year's convention, I've been going to the Vegas convention since 2006, haven't missed one since then, and um, played different roles in those years and uh this year of course was going to be a very different year and a slightly different role for me and um i i want to uh, I, I i want to let everybody know who wasn't there that if you were and are concerned about that gathering as i was as many people should be and rightfully so should be um it was strange it was strange to be around that many people all mm-hmm. at once because i certainly have not in a very long time, a year and a half. It just hasn't happened, you know. Uh, go well, ahead. This, this is where
1: I wanted to kind of start the, mm-hmm. um, the interview with John Champion, <laughs> 60 minutes portion of our show. Right. You know, and I wanted to, to start off with your very first initial impression of walking into the Rio. And I know that you were there earlier than mm. most, but you were there early enough to know that The the crowd or lack thereof wasn't because of attendees or attendance issues. Mm -hmm. Say when Wednesday night rolled around, Mm -hmm. when the convention started proper, how did you feel about it? Did you feel that there was a strong enough creation presence there, creation con presence there, Mm -hmm. in order to uphold the safety standards that they so um, aggressively Broadcast on their website and across social media, so that people would feel safe. Did they or were they
0: able to hold up to those standards? Yeah, uh, I, I'll tell you this. You, you know, right away, as soon as you got to the uh, the convention area, uh, the the entrance area, there were people there to check vaccination uh, and give you a a specifically colored wristband if you had shown proof of vaccination. My first day there, Tuesday, when I went for load in and to go do a, a tech run at our stage, I saw people being trained on how to give on-site COVID tests. And okay. immediately I thought, oh, yeah, okay, they're doing this for real. This actually is happening. Um, and throughout the convention area, I felt very good about that. There's a handful of people that I rarely ever saw in a mask. And I'm talking about a handful. Maybe, you know, we count them on two hands maybe out of the thousand plus, couple of thousand plus that were around. And I don't know if that's because they forgot or they they simply, this is something they feel strongly about and they don't wear a mask. I'm not sure. Okay. But for the most part, everybody I was around was very conscientious about only taking the mask off when they were eating or drinking. And for me going on stage. So we'd we'd kind of huddle in the backstage area. People were in mass and we'd say, okay, when you come on stage or right before you come on stage, take your mask off. If you're comfortable, you don't have to, but that's when we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And everybody that I'm working with, uh, I knew their vaccination status and you could very easily look at their wrist and see, oh, okay, they're wearing the same colored wristband that I am. Uh, So I felt very good about that. Now, in the hotel itself, you walk yeah, out this the is, this is to the casino area. That's the place that I felt like the hotel didn't enforce that as much as they should. And it was surprising okay. because you couldn't go anywhere without seeing a sign. Simply uh, logging into their Wi-Fi on your phone or going to their website, that is the first thing you see. It says pack your mask mm-hmm. because every indoor space requires a mask. I saw far less of it on the casino floor, in the bars and the hangout areas. And and even when I went to a bar, uh, because as we all know that the gathering place, the masquerade bar, I bar, um, I, most of the people that I was around uh, pretty good about keeping the mask on and then, you know, taking a drink or whatever and just sort of removing it at that point and putting it back on. But there still were some people who I think got very relaxed about it. And I don't necessarily know that those were always our people, STLV mm-hmm. attendees. Uh, but I was a little surprised to see less enforcement of that by the hotel in the hotel.
1: Were they able to enforce those standards inside the convention area, inside where the Roddenberry stage was, where mm-hmm. Jimmy's Bar, uh, yeah. formerly known as Quark's, where they were serving food and alcohol, were were people still conscientious of that, or were were you still seeing sort of uh, normal consumer behavior in those, uh, quote-unquote, protected spaces?
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm very glad to say that what you would do is you would look out and you'd see the tables that were— because it's already a big space anyway, and those tables spread out. People would go in line, in their masks, pick up food, go back to a table— Folks are conscientious about keeping some distance even at tables. So normally you'd feel very comfortable uh, in previous years. If there's a table with eight people, eight, nine people, and there's an empty seat. No qualms about, hey, can I join you? Can I sit down? There was a lot less of that. So now you'd look at a table that'll see eight, 10, 12 people. You'd see three or four people who are probably in their group you know, Mm -hmm. like a family together or, uh, you you know, whatever collection that was together there. And you typically didn't go sit there. Or if you did, you were on the opposite side of a very large, you know, eight-foot diameter table. And then you take off your mask to eat, and then you put it back on and go away. And and I I felt like in that area, people were very courteous and Mm -hmm. conscientious about it. Um, And there was even a moment uh, at the very end of the week, 6 o'clock Sunday night, Everybody gathered back at the Roddenberry stage for a group photo. Everybody was in masks. Everybody. And we took our first photo like that. And uh one of our uh, one of the people on the the team said, Okay, if you want to hold your breath, take off your mask, we'll snap a picture, put it back on. Okay. And and a lot of us did. Mm-hmm. And then that picture got posted first. There was some feedback online saying, Hey, this doesn't send the right message. What are you thinking? And you know what? To their credit, they took it down. Mm -hmm. And I I agree with that. I I I saw that picture. I saw that picture. I was concerned. Yeah. And and you know what? I kept that picture for myself. I will not post that picture. I, I, you know, that, that's a memory for me. I know what happened in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt okay about it. Uh, But I won't post that picture for exactly that reason. Because somebody could misinterpret that. They weren't there. They don't know what happened in the moment. We're literally talking about a period of about eight seconds and it was consensual happened. when people took yep. their
1: masks off. It was, yep. you know, the permission was asked. I think that's an mm-hmm. actually really important distinction to make, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to uh, everybody who, uh, you know, were they were following all the social media feeds, whether it's, you know, Mission Log or Roddenberry, you know, or any of the Trek, major Trek media outlets. All you're really seeing are snapshots in time. Right. You're not right. seeing the context of what led up to it and what was after it. So it's easy to make a very uh, critical judgment of something that you feel staunchly against. And even I, I'll be honest with you, John, even I, when I saw that picture with everybody's masks off, I'm like, this is what I was concerned about. When people are having that good of a time, choices, decisions that are being made aren't usually the best ones because that's what happens. But now that you've explained it in that way, you can extrapolate that logically to say that, you know what, maybe most of the people did make those precautionary choices Prior to and post having that one image taken.
0: Yeah. And I'll also say this, you know, look, track fans are the best. You know, we we all know that. You all know that. Everybody who's hearing this. And Mission Log fans especially, they are the The best. The best. But I'll tell you this. It was so so nice to be around people who are, are aware and thoughtful. And they would ask, and I would ask, hey, can I shake your hand? Or Mm -hmm. do you prefer an elbow bump? Do you prefer a fist bump? Can I hug you? And obviously making sure masks are on. And and if that's okay, fine. If that doesn't violate your personal sense of well-being and boundary, fine, we'll do that. But Mm -hmm. really everybody was thoughtful about that. Everybody was conscientious about that. And I don't think I heard a single negative word about any of that. I don't think I heard anybody sort of put out by the thought that, um, that this was a different type of year. People were still enjoying it. People were having a great time. There was a great sense of camaraderie. Um, I did talk to Rod one night where, uh, again, we were both in masks <laughs> facing each other. And we were remarking about that and just saying, how do we even feel taking a mask off for a picture Obviously, he's getting asked for a picture far more often than I am. And he said, you know, about 90 percent of the time I'm leaving it on. If somebody asks or if I ask and we do it in that moment, fine. But then the mask goes back on. I don't want it to give the wrong impression when somebody sees that later. Sure. You know, um, mm-hmm. my, my mom sent me a text. Be careful. <laughs> you know, And I said, yes, you know, what, what you're not seeing is that people are being uh, aware of this. But then going on stage talking, something like that. Yep. The mask comes off in that moment and then it goes back on. Oh, and and I'll also add, I took a COVID test. Uh, I've been vaccinated since April. I took a COVID test the day before I left and I just took a COVID test the day after coming back uh, just to make absolutely sure. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, let's talk about kind of like the the five days of something that was brand new to the Roddenberry stage. And you did this with uh, Jessica Linverdi. Yeah. You were on stage every morning, uh, <laughs> sometimes earlier than most. Oh yeah. And this was the, the mission log morning show. Yeah. How was that received? And how was the audience throughout the course of the week as the convention progressively increased in attendance? Yeah. Were you seeing
0: increased numbers for the morning show? I have to tell you, um, I I was worried about it, uh, because it is morning, and because the Roddenberry stage is this sort of like, you know, you have the main stage, you have the Leonard Nimoy theater, you have the D. Kelly theater, which is the side, and then you have the Roddenberry interactive stage, and it is smaller by design, and I always tell people like this is the little hidden underground cabaret. This, this this is our vibe. You come in, you get a drink, you get food, and then um, there's always something happening there. And and it is interactive. We're talking with the audience, not to the audience. Um, there are workshops. There, there's Lego building. There's all of this stuff. All, by the way, all sanitized uh, every single time we would do a thing, so worth keeping in mind. Um, I was worried that people wouldn't come. Because I don't know, I, I don't always follow exactly how things are promoted. And there were times that I heard from people who said they didn't know where the stage was, so we can talk about the signage, <laughs> hmm. or that they showed up early to get in, but then uh, security at the convention center entrance wasn't aware, so they weren't letting people in. Oh. The morning we did the show uh, Saturday, that was when Julian Grossman came on. She and her husband came down. And before we went on stage, there were three people in the audience, and I, I was mortified as so I thought, "Oh my God, I invited Julianne here. There's all this big lineup of people coming on. Five minutes after nine, the place was full. And I think that was just a situation where security was holding people at the rotunda. Mm-hmm. Then they let them in right at nine o'clock. then they came to the theater. I so see. we can always do more and better, but I was shocked that I would look out into the audience and go, oh, wait, every seat's full and people are standing in the back. And that was just, that was mind-blowing to me. It was so cool. And we we really kind of formed this little bond of, and that's why we did that group picture at the end. It wasn't everybody by any stretch of the imagination, but this slice of people who are the, like, dedicated diehards and who wanted to come back for that photo op? Uh, I, I'm I'm so grateful for that.
1: Yeah, you know, we were talking about this on on Discord because we were wondering mm-hmm. like where the added value was in a show like that. And uh, the people that were joining me uh, for I think it was like Thursday uh, Thursday After Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about it a little bit, and I think that the added value for something like that is you're starting to kick off the convention days, you know, in the right way, in the positive frame of mind. You know, yeah. you yeah, because sometimes with conventions. The evenings go long and then you know that because the, the dealer rooms don't open until 10 and then the first panel isn't until maybe like 11. But now you're offering the the opportunity for fans to start off the day very like a soft landing. You get coffee, you get mm-hmm. donuts, you get to start up, talk about Star Trek to have fun and really get those convention energies like, you know, stirred up and ready to go. And I think that's wonderful. And it's a, it's a nice, positive way to start off. The day, as opposed to just kind of like slogging it through the uh, dealers yeah. room for the umpteenth time, you know trying to find that one extra thing that you want to buy, and then uh, waiting in line to you know to see the celebrities um how did that go? How did waiting in line for celebrities go? Were some celebrities still a little standoffish were th- were there a lot of handlers, was there a lot of like creation convention presence? Uh, just making sure that they they monitor and and modify the situation as needed.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, walking through the vendor room, and uh, to be quite honest, I I spent so much time in the Roddenberry stage that I didn't walk through everything a lot. I I saw Mm. everything a little bit, (laughs) but I didn't always see the flow of the crowd. Um, In the vendor room where people are signing and taking selfies and that kind of thing, um, everybody had a plexiglass barrier, everybody was in masks. And then it was a little bit, everybody had hand sanitizer, et cetera. Um, And then it was a little bit of a judgment call. Like if a fan came up, uh, some people weren't doing uh, selfie photos at all. Some Mm -hmm. people were doing just autographs or selfie photos, and that's fine. And um, usually what they would do then is if they were sitting behind the plexi, they would make sure they put on a mask, make sure the uh, guest had on a mask come out, take the picture, and then go back. Um, That seemed to work out just fine, and that didn't need much handling by creation or anybody else. It seemed like that was a pretty steady flow in there. There was a wall where all the uh, Discovery cast members uh, tended to hang out, and you would see some lines build up there, but again, people being respectful about that distance spreading out into the uh, aisles in between tables, um, it, it didn't ever seem like there was a situation where it was overly crowded and even going to the theaters, people would skip a seat or two in between. They would kind of back off. Uh, so it didn't ever feel uncomfortable. Was that, that self-policed respect. or was that uh, mandated by creation? I think that was self-policed. Uh, but then I don't know how they numbered their tickets. Cause you know, they do the, uh, the assigned seating for like oh, I and gold level and, and yeah. all of that. Um, and I want to go back to something that you just said about, uh, doing the morning show and how that kicked off things with a certain feel. Two things about that. One is that I I'm still trying to wrap my head around um who was seeing it when. You know, we had our live audience and they were very responsive and just so supportive. And I know that there were people watching online but we stretched out our simulcasting. So after the first day, Creation came and they said, ooh, we want to carry this on our social media. So then suddenly it was Mission Log and Roddenberry and Creation all carrying that show. Okay. And I, I think there was some confusion in the online audience thinking that what they were getting is a stream of the convention, rather than a stream that is about the convention, a recap, a little preview, some guests, and then that's really all it is. It's just the setup, you know? Um, but then I saw a few comments later on from people who had been in the live audience, say Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but Saturday, Sunday come along. Those are earlier shows, and they say, oh, I couldn't make it, but I watched it online from my hotel room. So I was really curious then to, in the final assessment, see who was finding us when, and how much we were reaching, the whole idea there is to reach people to give them a little kickstart, give them a little sure. guidance to say, come down and see us here, come down and see this other thing here. So I'm curious about that. The other thing about the morning show, because you just said it, you know, I, I was doing Mission Log, the morning show. You were doing Mission Log after dark and, and interacting <laughs> on, online on, on yeah. Discord. The more I thought about it, you and I, uh, we we canceled what would have been the mission log panel, because really that's me and you. It's doing yeah. mission log style content on stage, and we were going to do that as half a show. So mm-hmm. so that got canceled again. To anybody who was concerned or questioning, like you know that that's why, and that was kind of a last minute decision. Um, I felt like I was doing something else on stage. And in a great way because it stretched my mind a bit about what Mission Log or about what Roddenberry Podcast can be in the future. Mm -hmm. So I was going into host mode, not necessarily Mission Log mode. So what we do is this deep analytical thing and and try to really study Star Trek. And what I did on stage there was more of like a... um, More of like an improv show, which is kind of par for the course when you got somebody like Jessica, (laughs) you know? Um, Well, I mean, the way I saw it
1: was, it was mm -hmm. the Roddenberry
0: stage. So you were handling
1: it for almost as the Roddenberry brand, like tangentially off brand of Mission Log, but still under the umbrella of of what Roddenberry produces. So I think that that's that's a great observation. And I took it that way. I said, you know what? Good. Uh, There isn't, and and maybe the audience did too, because Mm -hmm. we do the, the deep analysis. You know, every Thursday, we, we release the deep analysis podcast every Thursday. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that's not what is ne- actually necessary for that stage. And I think that the morning show, it's supposed to be this variety hour, yeah. where people can enjoy a multitude of different topics, you know, like Lego building, you know, or, yeah. uh, like I said, Jessica's improv. Um <laughs> Or... You know, a, a, there are a bunch of different topics that were being talked about, you know, yeah. and having, you know, like Trent Venegas on there oh, and yeah. having Ke- uh, Kelly on there. Yacovino.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Ke- uh, yeah. Kayla. Yeah. Kayla. Yeah. Kayla. Yacovino mm-hmm. uh, being able to talk about their experiences and start and Rod, of course. Yeah. Sure. So and, and and thank you so much for uh, making my apologies to the crowd, because that meant a lot to me. I didn't have a chance oh. to be able to mm-hmm. speak to all of them personally. Uh, I, uh, you know, when, when I when I saw that, I was like, oh. I was just like, I was like, I was,
0: I was touched and devastated at the same time. Oh, oh I didn't want to bring you down for sure. But you no, know, no, I, no, no. Yeah, no. I, I just felt like that, that was, you know, you and I together would be mission log that, that is the mission log element to be there at the show. So it, it certainly had to be addressed because in my head I was doing something different. From Mission Log. Mm-hmm. So I was representing Mission Log, but I was also representing Roddenberry podcasts. And um, like I said, experimenting, do, doing something different. And what I hope this does then, because you and I have talked about what do we do as Star Trek gets bigger and mm-hmm. wider? There are more series coming, there are more uh, opportunities for those to overlap. How do we shift gears? And make sure that we're still giving the right attention to Mission Log, that core show with that core mission, but also stretching ourselves a bit to address all these new shows, but then other opportunities like this to be able to entertain a crowd and keep pushing forward Roddenberry at large and not just our own show. So to me, this was a, a great experiment.
1: And how did you feel that the audience received it? Did you feel that they were getting the the added value that you thought that they would get? You know,
0: did they receive it that way? Did they respond to it in that way? I, I certainly hope so. Um, anybody who wants to write in to us and uh, and let us know, please do so. Uh, Missionlog at ronberry.com. And uh, we, we can pass along those comments for sure because it made me think, look, next year there's a convention coming up in Chicago. Uh there's going to be creations convention in uh later in August in Las Vegas. There's the cruise. There there's all kinds of things that we could be participating in given that we find the right angle. And um we, we certainly showed that we can produce a variety of programming on a stage. Feedback was very good and look, just the fact that people showed up more after that first day <laughs> must have meant, I guess that's proof positive. But uh, it yeah. must have been that we're doing something right, you know. And yeah. what I hope what I hope is that there were people who came because they just saw Roddenberry Stage morning show. And they didn't know anything about me, didn't know anything about Mission Log, didn't know anything about Jessica. They just wanted to come find something in the morning that would be entertaining. And, and if they then got an education about what Roddenberry is and what Mission Log is and who we are, great. I, I hope that we reach those people as well as the people who already know us. Speaking of people who already know us, oh man, oh man, the highlight of the convention. Well, other than making Jessica speechless in, in our uh, Saturday morning show, because that's a rarity, um, <laughs> that's impossible. Uh, Oh, wait, that that was in the Sunday show. So folks can go back and rewatch that if I want to know why. Um, uh, Thursday night, we had an impromptu because, look, schedules changed so much from the time we got there, even in the weeks leading up and especially from the time that we got there. Thursday night was able to put together a little wait. No, Friday night. I'm sorry. Friday night. night, Friday night. Was the meetup at Ibar with Mission Log Patreon supporters? Oh yeah, and it was phenomenal. It was so great to hang out. Look, Paul and Paul, <laughs> <gasps> two balls. We had two balls. We had two balls in the same spot, uh, and it wasn't even like matter-antimatter. Like they, they were able to coexist in the same spot. Um, Chris, Julie, Big Mike. Um, I, I know that I'm forgetting people and and I apologize for that because it's been a long week. Um, but there were so many people who came and then people who kind of got added on because they're part of that family. Larry, mm-hmm. Jessica, Adam from the Greatest Generation podcast. Uh, oh, cool. Yes. Uh, so cool. Um, Anne-Marie Siegel, who... <laughs> Is a follower of Mission Log and Greatest Gen and uh, and the Trek Files and many other podcasts and on the spot created the View Screen podcast handle on Twitter in order to cover Star Trek podcasts like the Greatest Generation and Mission Log. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the goodwill, the fun out of that event, um, it, it was really touching. And it really drove home this word that we keep using over and over again, which is community. Mm-hmm. Our listeners are a community, and our Discord is a subset of that community. And then having another subset of that, the people who were able to come to Vegas and just share a little bit in person, it, it meant so much that I I honestly can't put it into words. Just seeing people in person, being able to clink glasses and look somebody in the eye and say thank you for being there with us, being there for us, supporting us week after week, month after month. Um, I'm I'm somebody who talks for a living and I, I, I don't have the words for that.
1: And maybe that's the that's the effect. You know, yeah. the interesting thing about uh, seeing the community from kind of like this bird's eye view of social media, and this is where I was living the convention life, you know, mm-hmm. since, you know, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning until, mm-hmm. you know, Sunday evening. What was difficult about that were all of the different ways that fans uh, interacted with their emotional connectivity to the convention mm. most of it was positive but even within the convention tweets and uh the ways that people just express themselves some of it most of it was very positive and and very you know uh you know energetic and in the moment but some some of the stuff that i saw mm. sometimes did just kind of make me scratch my head and say why there man like why why bring any of that kind of negativity or any kind of that disruptive attitude into this convention
0: what what what, you what did you see was it stuff about uh covid was it just stuff about fans being fans what 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 was the the sort of thing that you were seeing the number one thing that i saw
1: that really did disappoint me mm-hmm. and I texted you this and I understand why, but I am going to bring it up here because I think it's something that needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, we all, most of the people in the Star Trek fan community know of the Axonar Project. Yeah. You know, that's Alec Peters' fan film that went from a very strong conceptual idea to something that has just taken on a life of its own for better or worse. I'm not going to talk about or go into detail about how I feel about it or how anyone else feels about it. Yeah. What I want to focus on is something that I should not have to discuss coming out of a Star Trek convention and that was just this this act of vandalism yeah to their booth sign yeah agreed now I uh, yeah now I understand that people are upset with him I understand mm-hmm. that maybe that is you know validated or people are looking for vindication in some way but we're still human beings mm-hmm. we still have to maintain and we're how do I put this the right way I I expect more from Star Trek fans. I expect more from Star Trek fans because we follow a fandom that espouses the belief of a better version of humanity. And when I see something like that, in that moment when whoever did that did that, what about Star Trek do you not get while you were doing that act of vandalism?
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, it, it was childish. And asinine, and I, I think you said it very well. Like, we're not here to tell people how they should feel about that project, um but we can tell you that showing up in a place to deface something is just not cool. You have yeah. every opera. It's a big convention. You have every opportunity to walk away. You have every opportunity to gripe to your friends separately, um or or be excited about it if that's what you want to do. Um, that's all your prerogative it's still somebody's property. It, it, yeah. It's still, yeah, it's not your place to do that. I, right. I yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I, uh, I just sort of checked myself when you sent me that.
1: And it's, it's one of those things where you spent all this money to go to this convention. You have take a pie chart, you know, you have a hundred percent of this is star Trek celebration, gene celebration, But then you focus on this. You know, This is the one thing that you chose to do to take time out of your day to do while you're there? Right. Does that... I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me being a Star Trek fan or calling yourself a Star Trek fan, spending the money, taking the time, taking time off, traveling there at whatever distance that you did to do that. Yeah. You know? But that's the one thing, again, that's just a very small... And I don't know the context of it, just a very small sliver of something i found that was negative that i saw on social media but um i want to steer away from that and i want to kind of talk about gene's legacy Mm -hmm. because there were a lot of very large like kiosks and signs and pop-ups of gene how did that uh how was that received by the fandom or was there a portion of the of the fandom that is past understanding that legacy
0: Uh, Okay, so this is a great question, and I'll tell you why. Uh, One of the last panels at the Roddenberry Stage Sunday afternoon was Larry's uh, Larry Nemechek, Doctor Trek, your friend and mine, Larry's State of the Trek panel, and that's the one where it's a very audience interactive, opinions and kind of poll questions, and just seeing where people are, where they're from, what their relationship to the franchise is, and When we were coming back from Vegas on Monday, we were talking about the results of that. By the way, I want to apologize because in all the last minute changes and all of those well-laid plans, some of those are bound to fail. One of those failed plans is that our recordings of panels completely botched. So I'm gonna let some people in on what they're gonna miss. (laughs) I'll give you some highlights. But well, one of the highlights was Larry's panel. And he noticed that if you go back post 2009, so 2010, 2011, 2012, the audience demographics started to shift. And From the J.J.
1: Abrams movies moving
0: forward. Yes. And those okay. were people who were finding Star Trek new because of those movies coming in and they had then started watching TOS, or then they started watching the other movies, started watching whatever else, but that was their first track, and that audience gradually increased over time. Now, this year is a weird year anyway, and we missed last year, and there are a lot of people who couldn't come, a lot of people who changed plans at the last minute, so I, it's going to shift no matter what. But this year, Larry's observation was, it was like a backtrack to... 15, 20 years ago, where now the audience is saying their first Trek, again, TOS, TNG, a little bit into Deep Space Nine, and it's that audience again, whether they were older or younger, but but those seem to be the majority of the hardcore fans, those who make the trip to go to a convention, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, a subset of a subset, uh, as opposed to people who are necessarily finding things new. But there were a couple of caveats in there, and this is what was fun. The next question becomes, what is your favorite track?" And even though those people who had come to track because of TOS or TNG, there was a shift that went to DS9. There were a few that went to Enterprise as their favorite. They, they'd grown up watching something else, and they had enjoyed all these others, but then, ooh, now, now Enterprise is my show. And the biggest sea change, almost every hand went up, when Larry asked, um, were you trepidatious? Did you have misgivings about this idea of a comedy Star Trek, lower Dex? Everybody said, yeah, yeah. I was not sold on the idea when I heard about it, but then the question became, but do you love it now that you've watched it? Every hand went up. So interesting. That's the show that won people over and shifted their opinion from their initial reaction. So that was very cool. And, um, One of the most interesting things that happened at the very end of that panel is I'm running around with a mic in the audience Mm -hmm. trying to get uh, trying to get opinions. And there's a young young woman there who was with her husband and a friend. The first Star Trek she had watched was in 2020. So last year, because her husband was a fan and she was just not into it. She'd never seen any of it. She didn't care. But as a birthday present to him. She had surreptitiously watched a ton of Star Trek, TLS, TNG, all this other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. To give herself the knowledge of what he was into and presumably understand why he was into it. And it was so funny. She said that she, um, by the way, if anybody is listening to this who knows who that was, please get her in touch (laughs) because it was such a charming story. She snapped a picture. They were on a plane somewhere. And he had fallen asleep. So then she got out the iPad started watching TOS and took a picture of him asleep with her watching TOS um, and shared, like, hey, now's my chance, right? (laughs) So then she could start having these conversations with him and understand him better. And this was her first convention of any sort less than a year into her rewatch about this show. And it turned her into a fan. Now, the only downside of all of this is she said, here she is, new to the convention scene, new to Star Trek, enjoying everything that she's watched. And as she meets new fans, or as she meets old guard fans, they're telling her, oh, well, don't watch this. Well, don't watch oh, this series. It's no. not Star Trek. Oh, well, you know, th- this one is terrible. You should focus on this one. And and that that oh, was no. heartbreaking. It's It's the most uplifting story and then it's heartbreaking because the gatekeeping becomes this knee-jerk reaction these were her words yeah In this story yeah okay yeah yeah and and it's too bad because and then they left right after the panel because i i wanted to go up to her first of all and thank her for sharing her story and i also wanted to say enjoy what you enjoy don't if anybody starts at you with that just say you know what I want to watch it all. Just tell me what you like and mm-hmm. leave it there. You know, tell me what is your track. Cool. And we'll we'll end the conversation there.
1: You know, that does bring up a good point, though, because about maybe uh, the the last gasp of the old guard. And I don't mm-hmm. want to say that, you know, glib or, you know, uh, insincerely, because I do think that from the images that I saw, from the photos that, that I saw uh, online, There were still a fair amount of very much older fans, the fans that would, you know, that they have a little bit harder time walking around, so they're in their carts because, you know, Mm -hmm. they just can't walk the length of the floor, or they're in some type of uh, health, uh, they have a health issue or some type Mm -hmm. of physical distress, but they still want to be there. There is a generation of fans out there that are very adamant about a certain era or eras of Star Trek. And I think that the 55-year convention, because it's so traditionally uh, steeped in the original series and that era of Star Trek, and or maybe even like the next generation, that this may be that convention for a certain segment of fans who may never go to the Repop convention. I think right. you're going to start seeing a shift in the demographic between... The Pop convention, which has all the bells and whistles, the license from CBS, you know, the hot commodity contracts of all the new actors, uh, obviously like very, very uh, well financed. Uh, so the production value of the show is going to be good. It's going to yeah. be held in McCormick Center, McCormick Place, you know, outside of Chicago, which is a huge convention center. Right. And then you have and I don't want to say this disparagingly about what CreationCon does, because I know that putting on a show is very hard work. Yeah. But you are going to have a certain. Uh, a certain segment of the fans that will enjoy this convention because for all intents and purposes, this is how the convention used to be. These are how the conventions used to be back in the seventies and eighties, a little smaller, a little quieter, but far more access to the things that they want, that they like from the era
0: that they want and like. Yeah, precisely, precisely. And, and I think that is a good shift in a way, you know? Um, some of my favorite conventions that I went to growing up were the non-official. You know, there was Dixie Trek in Atlanta. Uh, there were there were small conventions in Birmingham where I grew up, and it, it really just it, again here's that word again community. It fosters this sense of community just because people are excited to be there. That's first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Then there's the other stuff. Then there's the celebrities. Then 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 there's the the programming and all of that. But it's about that. Uh, relationship and reunion aspect to it that will keep people coming back um mm-hmm. they did announce creation did announce that next year's convention will be at bally's rather than the rio because the rio is going under some major rehab uh, between right. now and 2022 so they hope to be back at the rio uh in 2023 but 2022 it'll be a little bit later in august and it'll be at bally's mm-hmm. um i'm looking forward to any and all of those changes just to see how it plays out, so um that'll be something for us to look forward to as a team certainly, and uh, see what Roddenberry can do, what we can all come up with to uh to keep everybody entertained
1: all right i have I have a very serious question to ask you now and and feel okay. free to wave this question off, but sure because i 'm not sure how much information you have about this, but mm-hmm. what is the thrill?
0: please tell me. <laughs>
1: Oh man, I, John! I don't yeah. know if you followed what I was doing on social media, but oh, no. uh, during that time, but yeah. I was
0: obsessed <laughs> with that. Obsessed with a capital O. Oh man! Oh man! Did did you get it trending though? Because that's really <laughs> that's I have. I don't know,
1: but uh, so Trek profiles. <laughs> show trek profiles cast uh, uh
0: john, john kirkorian our buddy yes he
1: changed it he and i were going back and forth about this he was sending yeah. me pictures of all the thrill logo sightings he changed his handle you know um to no. the thrill profiles no podcast. he did not oh he my did. god i love it wow but i saw that i saw all of the other signage that was in the convention hall. I thought that they pivoted very well. Yeah, uh, They were obviously riding a very certain emotional beat when it came to, say, Jimmy's bar, obviously yep. a caricature of Jimmy Dillon uh, yep. with uh, an older version of Scotty. So, and a very kind of like Jetsons, you know, Art Deco, uh, mm-hmm. retro, noir type of flavor, yep. which is very much in line with TOS. Totally. they are They are marketing to a very specific demographic of fans that they know are their their supporters, their bread and butter, you know, kind of like the the pillars of which they can plan their convention schedules. Yeah. Because this is, you know, you're going to get a lot of the TOS people there, you're going to get a lot of maybe some of the TNG people there, but again, Reed Pop is focusing on a completely different segment of the audience. So, where did they come up with that idea? Do you know, not just the thrill, but you know, yeah. do you know anything about like this whole new marketing package look and feel that they obviously were using to cater to a certain uh, demographic of fans?
0: It really surprised me, and I feel like I should give one of my buddies at Creation, uh, Warner, maybe, hey, Warner, if you're hearing this, we should have you on one day to talk about it. Um, it. It really surprised me. I did not realize until the last day that they even had the bridge set there. So, of course, I ran in right at the last minute as they were closing. Please, please, please take my picture here. I didn't think they would have it because that is so obviously, iconically, the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Sure. There were other pieces that I was not surprised were not there, like the transporter room set and the, uh, the Guardian of Forever. But they mm-hmm. had these Borg alcoves, and they just got redressed. Mm-hmm. A- and with this thrill we are one one are we yeah (laughs) and i i just wondered like what if you just left them with the way the way they were and you just had them there like it's still fine but no but they redressed it to make it something else so i am so curious where that line is between well this is an acceptable amount of star trek but one step over that line is too much star trek so we have to walk it back Uh, You know, let's not kid ourselves. There was a lot of Star Trek at this convention, Um, and they they want to do certain things that maintain that audience, but also don't uh, let them run afoul of CBS or Viacom, uh, Paramount at large. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it sure looked like that they were following, what was it? It's the 25% rule, right? It's, yeah, it's twenty five uh, right. percent of it is different. Then it's not necessarily copyright infringement or trademark infringement. I'm no right. lawyer. I'm just I, right, this is right. something that I read uh, when I was uh, doing my own kind of freelance work as an illustrator. Yeah. But uh, w- what I did like, though, I really like that the the investment that they made in the quality of the graphics, because they weren't slapdash or slipshod type graphics. They were really well done. The illustrations oh, yeah? were good. You yeah. know the uh, those types of pull ups and pop ups and displays and you know banners. Those are expensive. So that is an investment. But the thing was the the center kiosk, the center jewel uh, in the rotunda, that is a very impressive piece of scenery. Oh, sure. And an, the interactive display in the middle sure. of it, most of the time showing the Thrill logo, but you <laughs> know they they they're continuing kind of like uh, making sure that the layout of the convention is very similar so that people won't be completely caught off guard from a flow standpoint. Right, right, right.
0: Exactly, exactly. And and what I feel like is that this year. People were because, look, we, we've been off a year. It's been two years since we were all able to gather back in Vegas and there was still trepidation for very good reasons. And there were still a lot of people who didn't come for very good reasons. I agree with all of those. Um, and, and I feel like this year was going to be a test to see, will people still come? Maybe they had tickets left over from 2020 and they felt obligated to come, um, but is that camaraderie? Is that sense of community there again, where they want to come back again? Because Vegas is a fun place to be. This is where people are used to going. It is tourist friendly, so they can get there. As opposed to, well, maybe Chicago is a little harder to get to for somebody. Maybe McCormick Place is a little harder to navigate, and that's why Reed Pop are moving their show around from year to year. And there will be announcements about, you know, what comes after Chicago. So it'll be interesting to see. I wonder how long that can maintain in Vegas. And I I hope it's for a while. And honestly, I hope that um, other science fiction can also be strongly represented. Clearly, they built it around their core Star Trek fan base. Mm -hmm. But it would be nice to see some programming that specifically celebrates other science fiction. So, you know, maybe they will be able to attract uh, some guests from those other franchises.
1: Now you know, uh, just being able to eavesdrop on conversations or be an earshot of certain discussions. Did you hear anything along the lines of "I'm not going to go to the Reed Pop convention"? That's the Star Trek sellout show convention. Mm. Were there any of that kind of gatekeeping attitudes that where people were like, "Nope, this is my convention. This is where Star Trek has always been. Ever since the right. Hilton went under, I started coming here. Right? If it's not if it's not here, it's not Star Trek. I mean, I'm sure that there's an attitude right. like that about this somewhere. So. There's yeah. going to be a dividing line, I think, sometime in the future very soon Yeah, with these uh, subsets of fans.
0: I, so uh, let me parse your question here a little bit to save that um, I heard people questioning that but not necessarily people deciding that that was their take on it. So Mm. people were, there were murmurs of people having those same questions that you do. There were certainly people who said, well, just the time of year doesn't work for me and, and the location doesn't work. It'll be harder for me to get there, et cetera. That's all fine. And and that would happen no matter where it was going to be. But there were people asking themselves and asking each other, Hmm. Does that feel a little too rigid, a little too corporate? What do I get for my money or my time investment in that as opposed to what I know I've gotten out of the Vegas convention? I don't think anybody was making hard decisions there this week, but as we get closer and closer to April, it'll be interesting to see if that chatter has turned into action on anybody's part to say definitively, I am going to Chicago but not Vegas this year, Or I am going to Vegas and not Chicago or maybe people doing both, you know, because you've also got a cruise competing. You've also got some international conventions competing. The other big X factor here is simply how are we with health? How are we with fighting COVID? What is that safety factor of getting people from one place to another?
1: Yeah, I mean, that really is the wild card of 2022, because Mm -hmm. at one point in time, maybe three weeks before the 55 year mission happened i was on board i was yeah. like you know what yeah. yeah everything everything is is you know it's uh, everything is nominal everything is green yeah. all you know the <laughs> spectrum is green sig yeah sig yeah and then captain black just kind of yeah. you know stuck his head up and said no nope, you're no one you know no right. no, Flor- no florida captain black ie you know governor DeSantis. Yeah. so right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah
0: so things can change literally like with the shift in the wind yeah you know and and that's exactly what happened and and it can happen again next year for a certain you know we all have to keep our eyes on this over the weeks and months to come um yeah. i i do want to uh wrap up with a a couple of thoughts here because there was something that i didn't quite finish uh when you asked about uh gene roddenberry and and oh gene's, i'm sorry yes, gene's presence here and uh, that's mm-hmm. just me forgetting and going off on another tangent <laughs> um you know, we we had our big wall display which was very impressive with all these quotes pulled and uh to celebrate Gene and celebrate the podcast quoting Gene Roddenberry, which as we record this will just be wrapping up in a couple of days, you know. Uh I was proud that we both got to be a part of that and it was lovely meeting Trent and hanging out with him and um I I feel like Maybe it was a little bit of a biased sample because I'm there at the Roddenberry stage, and people get what that is, and they were there for those conversations. And it, it was, of course, fun and charming to be on stage a couple of times with Rod, where he's looking at a quote going, "I don't get this." <laughs> you know, it's like, "No, come on, we're just uh, there's no wrong answers here. We're just here for a conversation." You know, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think there were a lot of people in the audience who felt like the vision and and you put that in quotes of course you know the the vision because that 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 vision has morphed and meandered and uh people are bringing interpretations and ideas to that anyway we all have to remind ourselves that gene was only there for the first 25 years of star trek and not always an active participant in those 25 years but he had a lot of good ideas And he shared a lot of those good ideas in his scripts and his stories and the characters that he created and certainly in the speeches and interviews that he gave in all of those years in between. Um, People were interested, especially now, in exploring the ideas for what do we do next? What does humanity do next? What happens when we get to the other side of a crisis like what's happening now? There are political divisions. There are social divisions. There is a very real health crisis still alive in this world. There are environmental issues to be concerned with. So what I kept trying to drive home was science fiction, and in particular Star Trek, is not about 200 years from now. It's not about 300 years from now. It is about right now. Star Trek in the 60s was about the experience of humanity in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Star Trek in the 90s was about how do things look in the 90s. It just happens that the stories are written to take place two or three hundred years from now. But I kept trying to reemphasize the idea that the challenge to the people watching the show wasn't to say, Wouldn't it be great if we got there a couple of hundred years from now? The challenge is to say there's something that you might be able to do right now if you look at a problem, a moral situation, an ethical consideration, a social concern that could actually make that difference today. It's the end of Mirror Mirror. Mm -hmm. It's saying that you you can't summon the future, but you could help start a revolution. And... I hope that those words resonated to the people who are there now to say that, oh, spaceships are cool. Transporters would be cool. Alien races would be cool. Getting there would be cool. But those steps to get there start right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, I want to address somebody who online on our Facebook page, uh, I I, I felt like he maybe thought I was getting a little defensive uh, responding to him. And it was something about quoting Gene Roddenberry and and Gene Centennial and saying, you know, we don't want to to lionize Gene. We don't want to be so effusive with our gratitude and praise of his words that we lose sight that he was a human being. Mm -hmm. And that person who left that comment is absolutely right because if we take away the humanity of Gene for good and for bad we also then lose sight of the value of what he wrote. We, we, we the, the importance of an episode like The Enemy Within which came up so many times <laughs> over this week was that those positive and negative impulses have to coexist. The The parts of our humanity that we might wish to disappear are actually necessary for us to understand our whole selves and our place in this world. So um, I, I hope that we got that across on stage. I hope that people are also getting that in a show like Quoting Gene Roddenberry, because those are the important lessons to take away. To be aspirational, but also to be pragmatic and realistic and accepting of our multifaceted, humanistic existence um also before we wrap up man this is great we were going to do a 20 minute show and it's an hour so uh (laughs) to our audience thank you and i'm sorry uh (laughs) uh, i want to give a shout out to a handful of people who were there i i mentioned just a, a few names who were at the meetup um But some very special friends who were there, uh, Scott Palm, who, you know, we did a fundraiser for a few years ago in our show. And it was so good to see him there at the convention having a good time and doing his thing, socializing and getting to know people. And um, I'm proud and privileged I got to uh, snap his picture. Well, snap a picture with him, but snap his picture with Nikki DeBoer, who you had on (laughs) the Discord. That is so cool. She is making the rounds in Mission Log. Love it. Love it. Um, And I want to say thank you to John Macy, who came by. Uh, He has a podcast now called The B Team. And uh, you you were just so, uh, you said such kind words about what we do with Mission Log and at Roddenberry. And that meant a lot to me. And um, I I also want to say, by the way, I'm sorry to anybody who I didn't get to spend as much time with. As I would like to have spent. Yeah. You probably saw it that I'd be going, I'd come off stage, sit down, have a sip of coffee. And then somebody would say, Oh, by the way, uh, this schedule change. Can you jump up and do this thing? Can you jump up and talk to the wine guy? Can you jump up and introduce chase? Can you, (laughs) And, and somebody, captain Mike, captain Mike, shout out to you. My friend came in I, I think he bought his ticket, He's or not bought, I mean, he's a pilot, he can go whatever he wants, but I think he, he figured out his flight Friday night at like 11 o'clock.
1: I and think that our conversation in Discord prompted him to I, do that. I, I think so, yes, he was saying
0: that, but <laughs> he's the one who came up to me Saturday night because we started early Saturday morning with the morning show. I got down to the set at like 8 a.m. for a 9 o'clock show. We were... It, you know, I, I did multiple things on stage and then Claire kept asking me, can you just, can you jump up there and like give away stuff? Can you just reassure people? Chase is on her way. Cause like, you know, her band was running late and whatever. And I, I got off stage at, at that point I had a sip of wine and Captain Mike goes, okay, I've clocked it. You've been working for nine hours and 55 minutes. <laughs> Go take a break go eat and then come back later <laughs> and and that's the real that is the joy of doing the show it's also the reality of doing the show i was running purely on adrenaline for a couple of days so for those people who i got to stop and just say hi to for a second and thank you sincerely for a second for being there i'm sorry it wasn't more I wish that there were more. Um, hopefully we get to do this in a more intimate setting someday <laughs> where we can actually have a conversation. Truly. You know, just me and Norm and all of you having that bar meet up when we can. Um, mm-hmm. But but thank you all. And, and I'm sorry that uh, some of those moments couldn't have been longer. And big shout out to Rhonda, who gave me and Norm a little whiskey tasting set. <laughs> so... You, you know us too well. That's lovely. And next time in person. And, and there was a great card in there as well, which, uh, which I'm going to share with you. That's so.
1: so wonderful. Thank you, Rhonda. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um yeah. I, yeah. I just wanted to give it also a shout out to, um, the people that, uh, participated in the discord panels during the course of the week. Uh, you know, it, there was the standard kind of like set schedule that I put out there on discord and on Patreon. So, uh, Monday morning, uh, Monday mornings are back, so we had a lot of fun interacting with just normal talk, not even Star Trek talk. Uh, Tuesday was fun because we were talking about what people expected uh, from the new series that are coming up. We're going to have basically, like, what, something like 30-something-odd weeks of uninterrupted Star Trek?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, it'll be crazy. Yeah.
1: So we talked a little bit about that. Uh, Wednesday, uh, we talked about Social media and is it uh, working against the fandom uh, or is it working for us? But yes, Thursday we were talking about uh, shadows and symbols and after image wrapping up the introduction of the Esri Dax storyline, mm. and I, I have to give big thanks again. I did this on Mission Log Live and I'm doing it again tonight to David Takechi David, who was able he buddy. was able to score uh, a couple minutes with uh, Nikki DeBoer on our stream. Where we were actually talking about after image to her and her sharing a story about how the scene, the final scene between, well, the climactic scene between Esri and Garrick actually did very much emotionally disturb her because of how intense Andrew Robinson took that scene. Uh, She has, obviously she was saying it with the greatest amount of admiration and respect but it was nice to hear a little bit of a behind-the-scenes story while we were talking about the actual episode in total, which was wonderful.
0: Uh, that is awesome. I yeah. love that that happened. Yes, uh, David, it was a pleasure hanging out with you, man. And uh, thank you for making that magical moment happen. So cool. Um, oh, and by the way, we we got a new Discord, uh, well, new Patreon supporter and new to Discord, Connor who participated in the match game. Oh, fantastic. He's a friend of Mike, Big Mike, and Uh uh, he he was our contestant, one of our contestants in the match game, and at the end of it, he said, I had such a good time, I want to join your Patreon and join Discord. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So, um, look, Norman, uh, our boss is going to be mad at us again. He's going to say, I gave you 20 minutes, you took an hour.
1: (laughs) Ah, but this is a special occasion. This is, this is a special, special occasion.
0: occasion. Um, right. But yeah, look, uh, thank you all so much, everybody. God, I, I, Rob, I, we took a picture together. I, all the names are just flooding back now. They're all. We, mm-hmm. we took a picture together. Thank you. I got that. And um, I'm going to share some in Discord when I can finally sit down and answer the, oh, I don't know, couple of hundred emails that have accumulated in the last week. Uh, But I'll be back on Discord soon as well. And Norman, man, huge thanks to you for uh, entertaining our audience online and making sure that everybody had something to do and something to look forward to, even if they couldn't be at the convention. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I look forward to the next time we record together
1: teamwork baby teamwork maybe,
0: makes the dream work maybe my voice will be back by then we'll see all right everybody thank you for listening thank you for all the support uh, thank you for buying me a drink every now and then in, in vegas and uh norman thank you again for uh, for making it all happen uh on the internet and on the home front when i was away
1: And thank you for taking care of all the fans live and in person and for representing Roddenberry in the best possible way. I had absolutely every confidence that you would.
0: This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability.